Welcome to Dear Alice, a lifestyle approach to interior design. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Dear Alice. Today, we have a very special guest with us. We have Krissa Rossbund, who is the senior style and design editor of Traditional Home Magazine. And we are giddy to have her here. Sue and I first met Krissa at a um, panel, yeah, right, at High Point Market, and she was moderating it. And we got to sit with, um, I believe, four other designers, and we got to sit and talk about interior design. And we were like, this is so much fun. We have to get Krissa on, dear Alice, because I know our audience will want to learn from her and hear from her. She is a veteran at um, Traditional Home Magazine. Krissa, welcome to Dear Alice. How long have you been at Traditional Home? Well, first of all, thank you both for inviting me to be on the podcast. I'm super excited um, to be here to talk with you both again. It, I, I loved meeting you when we did the panel at High Point Market back in October. And so it's fun to have a chat with you about all things design on a different platform. Um Oh boy, I have been at Traditional Home for 20, almost 27 years, and that includes a two-year internship. And this is probably not popular in today's workforce. I think I'm totally out of it, but I have only had one job and this is it. Oh, very diverse. First and only job. I started as an intern and and now I'm not. So yeah, you really are. You're like running the show. That's so cool. And you know what's fun is having been in the business long enough, you've seen things cycle through. Like from when you first started, I think like I don't know what you'd say, but like the nineties are back in a big way with fashion. Are you do you feel like that again with home, especially traditional home? Well, Yes, and I think that's that's the you know the interesting part of it certainly when you've been anywhere for any length of time is when you see things circle back and then it's like oh I was here for that first iteration right yeah. now I'm seeing the return of black and white uh checkerboard floorings and that was such a big deal when I started in the late 90s and I thought you know I thought it was so cool and and in to be exposed to all of these grand, beautiful homes that had had elements like that, and to see it return, go away, and now come back is is exciting. Yeah, it is exciting, right? And also feels like you have so much to add because you're like, I've lived this life before. Like you know, like you can kind of see it almost like a fortune teller starting to coming back into life. Well, and it's it's fun. Now, maybe the checkerboard floor maybe doesn't look any different, but there are so many elements of design that come back in a new and fresh way. So black and white floor is sort of a black and white floor checkerboard style. But but in other design, I don't use the word trend, but design movements that come and go, you, you get to see something reimagined. And that's what's exciting, because I think in design, look, there's not a lot that's brand new. Right. You know, I mean, we're still using so many elements and architectural details and things like that that have been around for hundreds of years sometimes. So so it's difficult to totally reinvent the re wheel. So what we're really doing is reimagining things that have existed before. And yeah, that's love that. Really yeah. So good. OK, so question. Um, tell us about you and what was your journey to where you are now? Have you always been interested in this field? Journalism. Oh, it's so funny because I I look back I look at interns now and they have a website and they have all of this 
all of this, you know, the support system to help them launch into that first job. I honestly don't know what I was thinking. I really was better at math and science. So how I ended up in a creative field is beyond me. But I, you know, I loved journalism in high school. I was on the yearbook staff and I had this incredible teacher back then. And so that's the box I checked when I went to college, the journalism box. (laughs) I, I wasn't really thinking that far ahead. You know, I just thought... I'm going to go to college and and earn a degree like I'm supposed to, and then life will figure itself out. So I, I don't, I can't even tell you. It just one thing led to another, and I again was um, in journalism school and very interested in magazines. The school where I attended, Drake University, which is here in Des Moines, or I'm not in Des Moines right now, I'm in Florida, but where I live in Des Moines, that's where Drake is. And they have an incredible journalism department that is very much, um, at the level it is because of my parent corporation, my parent company, Meredith Corporation, that is now dot dash Meredith. Okay. Very cool. Awesome. What about? Oh, it, oh, yeah, go ahead. I I was just gonna say I don't have one of those interesting stories. Like I was a biology major and midway through senior year told my mom and dad, "Oh, I'm gonna be in magazine journalism." Now I don't have that story. So I kind of did what I said I was going to do, which probably thrills them because I got done in four years. <laughs> also thrilling for you too to make a plan and move forward with a plan. Like that's so that's so cool today that you didn't have a lot of. Um, you know, shag balls thrown in your way. Yeah. And I will say that one of the things is this industry is sort of ever changing. I'm never getting bored doing the same thing because the whole purpose of it is to change. And so um, I, I, there's always been an opportunity in front of me. It's never stayed stagnant, even though people are probably like, well, don't you get bored doing the same thing? It's never really the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's been very good to me. Mm. So great. Well, I'm so excited that you're on here. Our podcast is one where people love design, listen to it, and also interior designers themselves listen to it. So some of the questions we have for you today are for interior designers, because I know they're going to want to know how to play with a magazine. I think that's sort of our number one thing when we come out of school is like, we know we will make it. It's the trophy case in the, you know, the trophy in the trophy case if we can get published. And so we'll talk about that today on the podcast as well and get Chris's um, best tips and tricks um, on what magazines are looking for today. Because I think that's half the battle is just knowing if they'd even be interested in it, what makes a great space, um, so forth and so on. So yeah. um, we'll get into that. But first, we wanted to know, how do you describe personal style and how does one cultivate personal style? I'm so glad you're asking this question because I am so passionate about this topic. I think that we really fail in this country. Um, You know, our programs tend to be first that are on the chopping block. I live in the Midwest where you have to drive everywhere. You're not, it's not like when you walk through the streets of Europe and you're, you know, you're presented with a statue over here and a beautiful mural over there. It's not like that here. This country is vast. You have to drive everywhere in most cities and to to get around. So we don't have that sort of walking exposure so much as as they do in Europe. But what I think is an, is an unfortunate is that we're never really trained to develop our eyes here. We're taught how to read. We're taught 
math, obviously that's important in school, but we're never, art programs are always the first to get, to go away. And I am not a fine artist at all. So I don't um, feel like I excel at, at being a painter or illustrating something. That is not my forte. But, and I don't know that that is, is so important because you're either interested in that or you're not. But I think training our eyes to understand design and what our personal style is, is so important because as adults, when we think about it, we spend a lot of money buying things strictly for the way they look, whether it's a car. Now, yes, you want things to function as well, of course, but your countertop is going to function the same way, whether it's marble or whether it's you know, uh, a man-made material, it, it, yeah. it, it, it be a surface where a plate and a glass can, can be. So really it's about aesthetics and somewhat quality too, but we spend a lot of money, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars as adults buying things, whether it's a sweater, whether it's a car, a, a bath vanity, it can be a notebook that we use to write in. I mean, it's a new year and everybody has their new fresh calendar, Buying things based on the way we look, on the way they look, yet we're never taught how to look at things. And so I think that to have conversations early on about just what do you gravitate towards? Do you like blue? Um, the world seems to love blue and white, but I'm sure there are people out there who don't like blue and white. That's okay. There's, you know, there's not a color police, if you will. So I, I think that it's important to at least consider what your personal style is before you go out and design a home or buy a car or go shopping for new garments, any of those things, you should kind of know what you like before. Because I think when we do this blindly, we spend a lot of money that we don't need. And that's what all of us don't want to do, right? We don't want to spend more money than we have to. Yeah. I imagine, sure. I imagine that's why you, you, you kind of veer away from the word trend, because it shouldn't be part of the conversation. When you're talking about your personal style, that I don't. I don't. Trend, I don't think a trend should ever be a part of the conversation. I I tend to use the word moment over trend because I think in our industry, in the home furnishings world, it, trends last a little longer because they're they're more permanent than uh, the you know the whatever the newest cut of denim is that yeah. that can. The whole year after year, but not so much when you're installing countertops and, you know, wallpapers and that sort of things. Those need to last, have some staying power. Um, so I, I think that we don't ever want to spend a lot on trends and we need to examine trends and think, is this something that I really love or is it something that is just not me? And if it's not you and you don't love it, then don't do it. Yeah, for sure. There's also this this thing where um, we did an episode a little while ago. HGTV had this huge article come out, and they're talking about how everybody's Washington Post, like, yeah, everybody's designing these houses the way that HGTV says, which is like white walls, black windows, and people get in them, and then they're like dissatisfied. So like this doesn't feel like anything, right? It doesn't it doesn't reflect their personal style. They just did what was popular at the time, and it's it's um, confusing and kind of deflating to people to. F to feel at home with something where they're like, well, I followed the formula. It should, uh, two plus two equals four. Like this should be really satisfying. But for whatever reason, they come up feeling empty and they're like, this just, this isn't working mm -hmm. for us. 
Well, houses that are designed that follow the formulas, they the problem with them is that they become dated very quickly. Mm-hmm. You could say that house was probably built in 2017 or or innovated in 2019. Um, you know, we we've obviously the nation has been captivated by the the whole farmhouse trend, and we're starting to see that slip a little bit. And for all those people who did that. When your house is still their home, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. It's still, it's still fine, but it just dates itself. So I'm all about being timeless. I love anything that's classic is what I personally love and what I gravitate toward. Um, I think another problem that we have in the United States is we don't have issues with space. We have generally speaking, unless you're in a teeny tiny New York apartment, we all have a lot of space here usually. And what that means is we keep buying more and more and more and more. And I think it's easy to think, to go on you know, a trip and, and go shopping and think, oh, I'll find a place to put that because you're attracted to it at the moment. And I think that something that I've learned to do over time is to really edit myself and learn to pause for a moment, enjoy what I'm looking at, but realizing I really don't need to take this home with me. I'm going to look at it wherever it's displayed and maybe take a picture of it and remember it that way. But I don't have to bring it home with me because you do that. And then again, sometimes it just doesn't Worker, you didn't really actually want it. And I think that goes back, it harkens back to that idea of understanding your personal style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So key. So key in putting together a home, making these purchasing decisions and sticking with them is really understanding your personal style. For sure. I also think to what you were saying, there's no greater compliment to us as designers is when people go into their our client's home and say it looks like them. We never want to look like us Yeah, as designers. You know, we want to look like them. So it's our job as designers to kind of extract what what is important to them, you know, personally, what experiences they've had, where they're being replaced to travel, all those things. And so like to what you're seeing, like traveling, do you find that like that's probably one of the key things to like trying to figure out your personal style? If you were a novice and you're trying to figure out how to develop your own personal style and you're kind of lost in this world of trends, like what would you what advice would you give to that person? in trying to cultivate your personal style? I, I think that the the grand um, educator of style is travel. I think there is nothing, um, I think travel is more important than, you know, sometimes what we've deemed as necessary education. I think you learn so much more from traveling. I think world university is is the best university. So so for people who can do that and traveling, it doesn't mean having to go to Europe. You don't have to go all the way, you know, around the globe to Bali or Tokyo. You can do that in your own neighborhood. And I think that's something I want to stress because travel takes time, travel takes money. And both of those can sometimes be difficult to come by, you know? I mean, sometimes the time thing really gets in the way. And so I think you should always have your eyes open, and figuratively and literally, always keep your eyes open. And maybe exposure means going to some local antique stores and happening upon a piece that you 
you wouldn't know about otherwise, but it's that one little off thing that belongs in your house that's a little quirky. And those are the types of elements that give a home soul. And that's so important. And when when houses follow that formula that you referenced earlier, um, they just, they lack that soul. Travel, uh, magazines, we have, you know, the internet and social media now are full of inspiration. The only thing I would advise or just make people aware of when they're scrolling through social media. Everybody else is scrolling through social media as well. So if you want something that's personal, you know, you want to stray away from um, copycat design, as I call it, because it's really easy to do that. It's easy to say, well, I like how they have this vanity and a lamp that's about this size. It's easy to just do the same. And and what makes a style personal is when you can make it make it different and make it your own. And maybe where they have a stack of books, you don't. Maybe you have a box there that you, you know, bought on your travel. So I I think that exposure and cultivating your style and, and developing that comes from anywhere it can it can be from the, this uh, it can be from signage at a shopping mall it can be from packaging at the the grocery market i love you know so many people don't like going to the grocery store i love it because i like to look at the packaging that's far more entertaining than actually picking up what i need to cook dinner so there there's great design and inspiration all around you travel is the optimal way, it's not always the most practical way, I will say. Yeah. I'm it's question. Keep your eyes open. I love that. That's wonderful advice. I love it. Okay. I have a question for you. It's yes. kind of a two-parter. I want to know, in your opinion, what separates Trad Home from other publications? And I'm also curious to know, what is it that you guys are looking for at Trad Home in 2024? Okay. Um, and thank you for asking that because I think it is confusing oftentimes. And I know we have people who aren't interior designers listening to this podcast as well. But for designers, I think sometimes they get a little confused by the different titles because there can be a little bit of overlap. Mm-hmm. At traditional home, we are looking for high-end luxury design, but that is attainable and familiar. When I say attainable, I don't necessarily mean dollar for dollar um, because we are high-end luxury. However, I think that the houses that we show are very familiar to people. I think they're not super avant-garde or kooky or too quirky. They are, their design that, that, feels like a big giant hug and feels comfortable. We're not trying to show off design that's never been done before with, I'm making this up, you know, hanging gardens from the ceiling or anything like that. We want to show houses that are, again, familiar. I think that's that's the best word because I think where there is familiarity, there's comfort. And that's ultimately what our reader is seeking. We try to, whenever possible, show our homeowners in the stories. That doesn't happen all the time. But the house where I am today, the homeowner is running around here right now. She's so excited. She has 15 grandchildren. They're in the shoot too. 
amazing. Oh, the best. Her and her husband and their grandchildren, the, the poor kids are like, they're, they're not important anymore. It's all about the grandkids. And it's cementing the, that idea of, of family, whatever your family looks like. We want to show that. And we, we try to steer away from people who don't want to be named and photographed and interviewed. Again, we do break that rule because we've sort of had to over time. But when we do show the homeowner, what makes that so special for the story is we get to show that relationship between designer, architect, and homeowner and how the collaboration, because it is a collaboration and a team effort, how that results in this magical place where people enjoy their Thanksgiving and Christmas and Passover and all of those, the celebrations that make family, that are what families really remember more so than the pillow on the sofa. Yeah, that's great. But different than Arc Digest, because Arc Digest will only feature people if they're celebrities, you'll feature everyday people that have beautiful lifestyles that have collaborated with great teams. Is that, was that correct? People, they do not have to be famous. And then last year I had the wonderful experience of shooting with Marlo Thomas, which was such a highlight of my, so everything in between. The most important part of that is we're not going to shoot a, a celebrity and feature a celebrity home just because they're a celebrity. It needs to be a house that we would have published anyway. Mm-hmm. It just so happens that they're somebody fabulous. So. Yeah. Um, so the house is the hero. And then the people just happen to be a great accessory to the story, would you say? Exactly. Exactly. That's very true. And and again, I think what differentiates us from our subset of the, the luxury titles is that that level of, of comfort. And that doesn't mean that the other magazines don't have that too, but some of them can get super fancy and super, super glamorous. And we put all luxury, but only maybe 20% glam. And the rest is more what appears to be something that anybody can have. There's nothing more special to me than when we get correspondence. And when I started as an intern, one of my jobs was to do the letters column. And we don't have that. There's Something super endearing when you get a letter from a homeowner and they send you pictures of their home and they say, I looked at the house in your October issue and now my house looks just like yours. And it's a house that's 1,200 square feet and it's a house that has nothing high end in it, but that's how they translated it. And I think that that's what we want to do. Not everybody can have everything that we show. And and that's okay. They don't have to. But if people take away something from it and can apply apply it to their own homes at whatever level they can do that, I think then that's when we've won. I love that so much. That's so great. Um, okay, so question for um, the, I think the interior design community. I also feel like people that just love design would want to know the same. What is the difference between the publication in print and your online presence? Are you sharing same stories, more stories in print? Also, is there, if you're an interior designer and you get an opportunity to feature a home and they say, hey, we're going to get you um, online, should they say, oh, I'd love to hold out for print? Or are they both prestigious in their own right? They both serve a purpose. Actually, more eyeballs are going to get online. So be so happy with that. 
Or how do you, what's the difference between the two? Well, we have a minimal online presence, if you can imagine. We got rid of our website. And I know that probably sounds crazy, but it wasn't, because of social media, people don't necessarily just go to a website anymore. They look on social media. So we we actually got money of our website, which is will probably sound insane to people. So we really rely on social media as our digital presence and then print. Look, print is always the gold standard. That's where everybody that's what I think too, but I was curious to hear from you. So yeah. That's where your opportunity is for a potential cover. And I think you are endorsed by somebody else. The online space never ends. It's to infinity and beyond. Yeah. And so it, there's there's not as, as much cachet because I can put stuff online all day long. I can post one room on Instagram today, or I can post 50 rooms on Instagram today. But when it comes to the print issue, we only have so many issues. We receive about anywhere from 200 to 250 submissions a year. We take 30. So it's a big deal to be published in magazine, in any of the print magazines. Um, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll speak for the luxury set collectively, it, it's a big deal to be featured in print. Yeah, for sure. That's a great perspective. Did you know that 35% of adults report experiencing poor sleep quality? Let me put you onto something that is going to transform your sleep. Cozy Earth Bedding is temperature regulating people. This is huge. If you and your spouse do not sleep at the same temperature, which most people don't, I'm freezing, my husband's hot. This is a massive benefit and breakthrough for us when we started sleeping on Cozy Earth. You can both sleep on the same mattress with the same sheets and be completely comfortable. They also have a 100-night sleep trial guarantee and a 10-year warranty, which I don't know of anybody that does this. They're that confident in the product, and so am I. When I first touched Cozy Earth products, I could not believe the soft hand on it. It also almost has like a cool feel to your hand. To your um, hand, it's like slippery dolphin. Like your feet swishing around is so so addictive. I can't sleep with anything but cozy earth sheets. I'm obsessed. Um, also, you need to treat yourself to the ultimate comfort with cozy earth. I love the sleepwear. I love the sweats, and the bedding is amazing. You can prioritize your self care your sleep health, if you just head over to CozyEarth.com and use the promo code DEARALICE for an exclusive 35% off. You guys, we don't have to wait for a sale. You can use this anytime. Again, the code is DEARALICE for an exclusive 35% off. Better sleep awaits you with Cozy Earth. Yeah. Can we talk about how to be featured in print? What's the best method for an interior designer that's like, I think I have a home that traditional home's going to love? Do they have to come forward with an entire house? It was once um, something that we had heard that you cannot go to be published unless you've got all the main living rooms. You've got a powder, a living room, a family room, a kitchen, a primary suite, maybe a guest room. Like if we just had a kitchen and a great room, a powder and an entry, we can't go forward with it. The magazine's not interest unless they have a whole home. Is that true? Okay, I'm I'm going to do a little do re me and start at the very beginning. Great, <laughs> that's great. 
I, I think that I'm going to take your listeners through this process for traditional home. Some of this overlaps between other magazines. I know that because I have friends there and then other things will be specific to us. Interior design, your interior design business is one part of your business. If you are interested in being published, that's a whole other business. What I mean by that is it requires no different than if you are meeting a homeowner for the first time and you are doing research for them and you're starting to specify fabrics and wallpapers and rugs and furniture, you you have that whole research process that you go through before you do present before you deliver a presentation to them. Mm-hmm. It is the same thing for a magazine. You should be flipping through. If, if the designer's not doing it, somebody, an intern in your office or a junior level designer should be flipping through those magazines and understanding, okay, at Traditional Home, they have a kitchens column in every issue. So a single kitchen will work for Traditional Home. But other than that, we don't really show single rooms. So if we have a random beautiful nursery, that's probably not going to work for traditional home, but maybe it will work for a magazine over here. So you should have a spreadsheet, a list, something that you are aware of for the different magazines that you're potentially interested in where your projects can land. That's assignment number one. Um, I think too often designers will just throw projects out to everybody to see what sticks. And I don't think that's super effective just because editors get so many projects submitted to them and you you want to be taken seriously too. And I don't expect any designer to ever know exactly what we're looking for because sometimes we don't even know until we see that, until it is delivered and presented to us. However, a super, super modern house that's minimalist with no, I'll use the word stuff in it, it's probably not the right fit for traditional home. Yeah. It's just, Fair. Yeah. so, you know, we occasionally get things like that. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, that it, it didn't ever have a chance, but it's really great design. It's not that it's bad design. It's just not the right design for us. And so doing that research to look at the different publications and the different platforms where you can be featured Uh, where your work can be shown is very important. So that's step one. Uh, After that, it's really about having your house photographed or taking scouting slides. We love good scouting slides. Uh, Designers do not have to go to the effort to have their house photographed per se. We are happy to come in and do that. Wow. Jason, you're in Florida. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm in Florida right now. I don't, I don't, you know, hate being here. Do you (laughs) prefer to do the shoot yourself since you know what, what you're looking for? You know, your favorite photographers. Do you, Mm -hmm. is that your preference? Would you say is to share scouting shots and then you guys do the shoot? It's easier if I sort of tell you by the numbers of the 30 houses that we show per year, about half of them are submitted to us finished film. And that helps us out for a few reasons. The biggest one being time and bandwidth. We have a skeletal staff. We don't have time to go on all of the shoots ourselves. We sometimes do hire regional stylists, 
scouts who who will do that for us, but that cuts into our budget. So to make all of the numbers work with time and budgeting, we are reliant on some of the houses coming in already professionally photographed that we can just buy. And if necessary, we will go back and shoot a homeowner portrait and an exterior if they didn't shoot the exterior. But just another tip, if you're going to photograph the house, shoot the exterior. Yes, <laughs> that's great advice. Yeah. And the, you know, then there are the houses that we go back and photograph ourselves. And um, we're, we're happy to do that too. We do have a list of our photographers that we go to routinely who photograph for us over and over again. So, so we, yeah, we have a, a list of maybe a dozen or so names that you will see in the magazine on photography bylines frequently. Okay, great. So did I answer your question? Yeah, that's I think that's, important. so it's, I'd say you probably would want most main living spaces shot for a home if they were to submit it. And they had their own um, professional photography done, um, right? Yes. I, I think you should be prepared to have a full house tour in a lot of the rooms that you just said. Some sort of living room. Not all houses have a living room now. Some have a great room. So uh, some sort of space with sofas or sectionals yeah. or, or yeah. gathering space. Um, for sure, a kitchen. A bedroom, sometimes we've had a few houses recently where the primary bedroom wasn't necessarily the best bedroom. And so I think we need to have bedrooms slash bedrooms. Really for us, one bathroom will suffice, one big bathroom, and sometimes we'll cut those. Always a powder room because powder rooms are fairly easy to shoot, fairly quick. So in they're the little jewel boxes, right? So um, capture those. But a dining room, if if a house has one, again, we're seeing houses that don't have a dining room That's anymore. so true. Yeah. After a Victorian built in 1890 something in Greenwich, Connecticut, where they don't have a dining room. They got rid of it. Wow. So very grand. Oh, yeah. So it's, you know, interesting to see how people want their spaces to work for their own lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm sure you've seen that change too in the 20 something years. You've been at traditional home. Every room probably had a dining room back back when you first started. And now today people are like, I have a home I, office and I have a, yeah. Dining rooms are my favorite. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Because what else do you have a crush on, Chris? Like, if you, I'm sure you can't help but have like a personal affinity for if something comes across your desk, you're like, oh, it's my favorite. Finally. It's a green <laughs> kitchen or it's a, I don't know. How do you feel about the white kitchen? Are you like, it's our job to publish things that are more interesting and out of the box? Or are you like, no, we love a white kitchen at traditional home? Speaking of, of formulas, here's what's happened. Here's okay. what happened. Okay. A designer will create a wonderful house and it gets picked up by a magazine. And kudos to whoever did the white kitchen with the white marble first. I don't know who gets credit for that. Designer out there who gets credit for that. And so the magazine publishes it, and then all of these homeowners, potential clients all across the land go to their designers and say, I want this. Mm -hmm. Designers design their house just like that. They send it to us. The house is great. We publish it again and again and again. We are so sick of white kitchens with <laughs> more. Yeah. No, no more. And that that just happens. And look, it's not the worst thing in the world, and I'm not 
putting down anybody who has the white marble kitchen because they they look great and they're they're clean and they're they're current they're modern I I understand all of that and so you don't I don't want anybody running out and changing their marble tomorrow because I said so but the idea is we see these trends because they are they're trends and again the problem with home trends is that they last for a long time probably 10 years or 15 years or sometimes longer. And right now it's the black and white checkerboard floor. Um, After the white kitchen came the blue lacquered den library. We saw that. I love that because I'm such a blue girl. So, but we're we're not going to publish any more of those in the magazine. Mm -hmm. I personally love a dining room. I love, not only do I love the symmetry of it because it repeats again and again, so you get that wonderful symmetry, but I also love what it represents, and that is, you know, gathering with family. Yeah, food mm-hmm. and food. Yeah, really good food yeah. and food. And it can be a scene. I feel like too in a house because you go in there and you're like, this is an elevated experience. It feels different than the rest of the home. It's got a mood to it, and you're coming together to have this elevated experience with your family, whether it be, you know, Easter morning or maybe it's just Sunday dinner or or somebody's birthday or whatever it is. But it feels like an occasion is celebrated in that room. And the dining table itself becomes a slate, um, you know, this canvas, if you will, that it, where you can change up the tabletop every different time and do something a little different. And, and that's what's fun about it. That's where the artistry and the creativity comes alive. So I, I love that. I love tabletop. I probably have way too many sets of dishes. I have yeah. no intention of stopping anytime for you. So the dining room, I would say is my favorite space. Okay. That's the essence of traditional too. I do you know too. I mean, like every, like forever and all time, any shelter magazine, traditional shelter magazine has always featured Southern accents. Any of them has really given a lot of like attention to dining. So I love that that's like your heart song. Well, and I think the dining room is a unique space in the fact that the rest of the house is really, the the rooms, the other rooms in the house are really about daytime living. They want to be photographed light and bright and at breakfast or when you're doing that sort of activity, getting ready to take on the day or taking on the day. The dining room while yes, you can use it for Easter dinner that may be at noon and not at night, the dining room is a little sexier because you imagine it with the lights dimmed and and candlelight and a nighttime atmosphere. So I think that makes the dining room a little unique and special in that way that we think of it more as a nighttime space, even though it's used. Yeah, so good. Okay, question for our designer friends again about being published. How far ahead is traditional home working? I think you're working on a home right now that you're sitting in that's going to be published for summer. So would you say you're six months ahead of the game? So if somebody's like, I have this thing, I would love to run by you guys, but I know you're only looking for fall, winter at this yeah. point. Should they should they generally be sending you stuff for six months ahead? Or are you like, if it's a beautiful home, just send it. We'll figure out where it goes. I I would say if it's specifically a summer house or specifically a house that is for winter, then it's more of a nine-month situation. The house I'm in right now, it was a 
scheduling sort of thing. It's unusual that we would photograph a house this close to deadline of finishing it. So I would say more like nine months in advance. In in regard to Christmas houses, we shoot those an entire year in advance because we photograph them at Christmas time or the next year. And likewise, houses that are summer houses, for instance, we are showing a house in our summer issue from Michigan. Well, you can't shoot that. You can really only photograph that in the summer. So summer houses and winter houses, I think a full year in advance. Houses that are more timeless, that don't have any fall foliage or don't imply a specific season that just has normal green trees, I guess. Those are kind of evergreen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So is it best for them to look at your publishing calendar, maybe see what you guys have done in the past to see kind of what, I don't know, like when your kitchen issue is and when, you know, these certain houses fall, if they're trying to play the game and make a spreadsheet and figure out when do I send the publisher this home that I think they'd be interested in. You know, what's the best way to sort of play the game with timing and all of that? I think that that, I, I, first of all, I want to stress to designers who are listening, the process of getting published takes a long time. It is not you send a house in next Tuesday and we'll get back to you by next Wednesday. We only look at houses maybe once a month, once every six weeks. So it's going to take us at least that long to give you an answer. We don't tend to look at a house just individually because we want to look at several at one time to make sure we are filling different kinds of holes of what the different interpretations of traditional are. Um, we, we don't want seven houses that are all from Cal- all from Colorado up in the mountains where we have all of this ski snow situation. Uh, on the other hand, we don't want every house to be from the beach. So we we want to look at a bunch of houses at one time to make sure that we are filling the different, the various holes that we may have. So the process itself is one that takes time. And I just want to stress that. The second part of that is it is, again, going back to that idea of research going through the different issues and seeing what they publish at certain times of year becomes important. So after the trade shows, that's a good indicator that that maybe they're going to do some sort of, for instance, kitchen and bath show is coming up soon in the next month or so. So I think you will start to see kitchen trend stories. So if you have a a new kitchen that you have designed that has all of the new bells and whistles and the latest and greatest, then maybe you submit that knowing that it probably won't be shown until later this year after the trade shows happen. But um, it's, it's really about researching those magazines and actually flipping through and understanding the types of features that they are showing. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, takes it's a whole nother job, like you were saying. It's a research job, a PR job. Do you feel like it's um, easier to play the game if you have a publishing agent? I know we've used one here at Alice Lane. Um, they know how to play the game. They work very quickly. They'll tell us like if they feel like the photography isn't good or they're like, yep, this, I think this would be a fit. Let me see. They get back to us so fast. It's It's interesting that 
um, there's a part of me that's like, do you do the publishing agent thing or do you do you do the route where you reach out to the magazine itself and hope for a response? I guess what advice would you give designers on how best to access um, different magazines? Because you're inundated with thousands and thousands of homes and everybody thinks their home is a prize. It's like our children, right? We all think our kids are amazing, but, but whether or not they are is up to, you know, the magazine to tell us if it's a win or not. And I'm glad that you said that, Jess, because when we turn houses down, I will oftentimes get a follow-up question from designers who've never been published before. And they'll say, well, then what are you looking for? Could you tell me more what you're looking for so I know in the future? And I don't have an answer to that because usually it's not like on a, a scale from a F for fail to an A plus. It's not like we ever get the Fs. We only get houses that are A pluses or A's or A minuses. Yeah. And so your house may be an A instead of an A plus. So I can't tell you to do anything different. Or we may have too many houses from Nashville at the moment or too many houses from Texas at the moment. That's happening right now, which is why that's at the forefront of my mind. Um. So sometimes it has to do with we don't want to publish the same place over and over again. We're trying to be widespread and publish all across the land, all 50 if we could. Yeah. And only you guys could know that at the magazine is like, we've got, exactly. the, we've got the Texas house. We've got the California house. We've got the Michigan house. Nobody knows that what you're looking for is the New York house and the Nashville house or, or the Colorado cabin. Like nobody knows what you've already filled and what you haven't. So the best thing is just to send them anyway is it best to use a publishing agent or best to, can they submit themselves? You can always submit yourselves. We are not looking for a house submitted by a publicist. We are looking for a beautiful house, okay. ultimately. Okay, great. The problem with that is I think designers oftentimes don't know who to reach out to. Yes. They might not have the right email. They may be confused by the masthead because Every masthead is a little different, what people call people. Some people are on staff. Some people are perhaps contracted freelancers. So they don't really know the right person to send the submission to. And then who knows if it's ever delivered in the right place. So in a perfect world, if a designer just knew to send me their project and it was this beautiful hero project that they had, and I said, yes, wonderful. But the benefit of having a publicist is they know all the right people to contact. They can do it in a day. They can send out, they can, you know, you can say to a publicist, I have this new house in this Chicago suburb. Who do you think it's for? And they know right away, I'm going to send it to these 10 people and they can have that done very quickly and they can guarantee that it's going to the right person. Yeah. They know who people are. They have relationships with all of us. On the flip side of that, in the case where we do need something a whole, and we have a hole to fill, I'm never going to reach out directly to a designer because where would I start? I'm going to reach out to my publicist relationships, mm -hmm. contacts, and they're going to find it for me. Okay. Very good. That's a great answer. 
Um, here's a question. I don't know if you can tell me this or not. What would be the correct email to send a home that you believe is a good fit for traditional home magazine? What's the best email for a designer to send that home to? Ready to give that up? <laughs> It'd be easier if you had a place to post it. It is most so it's my first date, first name dot last name, and then it's at D O T D A S H M is in Mary, D is in David, P is in Paul dot com. So that stands for dot dash Meredith Publishing, which is our parent company but it's kind of a mouthful so yeah. maybe and I think you you had, I feel like you had great advice where you said if you're sending me a home I don't want to read a novel you give me one paragraph about the people that live there where it's at why it's special give me the images we'll decide if it's for us and if we want the story but if you send in a two-page letter you're like I don't have time to read this whole thing I'm just trying to decide if this is the right house for us is that correct I need to know the general family dynamic. Are they empty nesters? Is this a house with three kids under the age of five? Is there a dog? Um, (laughs) It's very important. Trust me. Um, We need to know what the family dynamic is. We need to know where the house is located, uh, again, so we can fill that regionality that we the regionality uh, requirements that we, we try to deliver at the magazine. And a little bit about the house. Was it a renovation? Was it a new build? Was there an architect involved? That's what we want to know. I don't have to know that the range is a Viking range. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's not a thing with that. I mean, all of our refrigerators are sub-zero at this point. So, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes people worry about those details and those really aren't. Yeah. So they don't in the communication, what would you say in the subject line that you would want to see um, if somebody were to write one succinct sentence that so they'd say, um, beautiful home in Connecticut, already I would shot, write, like, Connecticut. what's the best? I would just write house submission in Connecticut. Okay. House sub- uh, wherever you are, house submission okay. will get my attention. Great. Yeah, so that's great. Our listeners will love it. It may be a while before you get an answer back. Yeah, what would you say would be the normal amount before thinking this isn't going to happen? Two months. Two months, great. And we'll would you else that you would get back to? Hey, we'll always get back to you with a yes or a no. We're not right. going to leave you hanging. Um, and I have no problem with people sending me another email because I get a lot of emails and sometimes they get lost. So it's okay to badger a little bit. A little bit of badgering is okay. Okay. One other question. I've I've heard this before in etiquette with publishing as well, that if you're going to submit it to traditional home, say, don't also submit it to somewhere else until you get the no and then move that forward to the next magazine, right? Don't just put it all out at once. That is true. And I think that all of my colleagues at the other titles would agree. It, it's frustrating if you then get to the submissions meeting, decide that, yes, this house will be approved and we would like to move forward with it, only to find out that it's already it's already been taken by another title. And then we've said no to another house that we would have used had we knew had we known that that slot was open. Yeah. So it is an etiquette respect thing. And okay. I think mm-hmm. other titles would agree. Great. Puppy pile into that, too. Is yeah. it too soon? Like, if we're going to submit something to traditional home, we don't leak any of those photos, right? 
We don't use it on our Instagram. We don't use it. It can be magazine. No social media at all. Um, I'm okay at this point with designers putting their projects on their websites because the average random person out there is not spending all day going to designer websites, specifically Mm -hmm. perusing their entire portfolio. So what happens is if we approve a house that happens to be on your personal, on your website, then we just ask that you take it down for a while. Mm-hmm. That's fair. But I don't want um, designers to miss an opportunity if somebody is looking at their website, but it's really social media is where people are to scroll through and see a lot at once from a lot of different people. Awesome. Any other etiquette that you feel like we should educate um, designers on as they're trying to navigate this world of publishing? It's, um, is there anything else? I think just be patient. Like I said, a little bit of badgering is okay, but just understand that we don't look at houses the very next day yeah. that there's, I get a lot of that. Did you get my email yesterday with the house? It's like, I did, but I'm not going to look at this for a while because we're on the road. We're traveling a lot. We're putting another issue to bed. I'm writing sometimes. Sometimes I don't have time to look at everything immediately. But looking, reviewing houses are is our favorite thing to do. And so we get super excited when we have that opportunity to, to review them. That's great. Speaking of seeing so many homes, I'm sure you see more homes than the rest of us. I feel like we're digesting a lot of homes. Um, what would you say people should spend their money on? What stands out to you when you're looking at homes? You're like, what, you know, like this is where I would. What makes it like publishable? You're just like, yeah, it's fantastic because of like architecture. Yeah. Architecture. It's like being born with a good bone structure. You've either got it or you don't, right? <laughs> like, I don't know. I guess you can add things on with um, remodel or whatnot. But yeah, architecture really is king, isn't it? Architectural details matter. And if the architecture is good, then the design follows suit. Is that you? You've used the word. Um, maybe it was in when we saw you in High Point. Um, a well, a well shopped home versus a well designed home. Yes. Uh, again, something of, I'm very passionate about that term. That I I did that for myself mm-hmm. to houses that we that we received. What I mean by that is because of social media, again, what I see a lot is a lot of copycat design. And in addition to that, and we've said this at the magazine for years, there's really an epidemic of good taste. People are exposed to so much and you can get great design at all levels from the highest, most luxurious um, examples of design to, you know, we've all bought something at Target, right? In the last years, we've all done that. Yeah. So there's there's so many different places where you can get great design. So again, what happens is we see a lot of the same elements. So this is my little test when I receive a submission. If I can name, and I'm not going to name companies right now because they're all good companies, but if I can say that sofa's from company ABC and that lighting fixtures from lighting company, you know, DF, DEF. And this 
range is the same range that I've seen. And that table, that was really great when so-and-so introduced that at High Point Market, but now everybody's using it. When I can identify every single piece, what that says to me is the house is well-shopped. Everything looks great. There aren't any problems, but again, it misses that soul. And I will say it matter. Yeah. Yeah. I think you... You also spoke um, when we were in High Point, you kind of called it the bingo card, right? Like the houses all kind of have a few of these things. And um, if it has the certain throw over the the ottoman, if it has, you know, all of these sort of things that you're like. Expected things to make yeah, quote unquote great. I talk about styling for a moment? Yes, please. So. Yes, we we kind of have a little, uh, somebody on staff created a styling bingo sheet. And look, we all love the Hermes throw, but let's, let's find something else. Let's, let's, it's, it's just too much. It's those sorts of, of things. It's the Louis Vuitton bag in the, on the bench in the foyer. Those sorts of things are just, they're not interesting. They're beautiful. They're impeccably made. I'm not saying that a house shouldn't have one, but when you style, find something else because those pieces, those elements have just, they're so overdone at this point. And again, uh, it's its another thing. Again, we can identify everything and it's sort of like, well, where is the personality? This is somebody else's personality. It's not necessarily the, the personal style of the person who lives here. It's part of the formula yeah. that's been created. So yes, anything, any elements, uh, in, in some of them are maybe not to be avoided at this, you know, from the fig leaf trees, things like that. I mean, sometimes those just work, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I spoke a while ago during the, during the pandemic and, and people asked me about things that are overdone. And I did say, look, at the end of the day, there's a reason that artwork hangs above the fireplace. Like it just works there sometimes. And so it's okay. Like we're not trying to reinvent the wheel with every single element throughout the home. But there are, you can, if you've seen something before in a magazine and do something different, that's reason enough to do something different. Like that. Yeah. Good rule. That's really great. Okay. More board book and no more air. Uh, yeah, I, well, I feel like you need to say those things out loud though, because people don't know. Is there anything else besides the Tom Ford book or the Hermes throw that they should just avoid and do something that will make their project more original. Labels like that. There were also that set of books um, from Asseline that that are, you know, Saint-Tropez and Capri. We've seen those in so many houses. They just don't. And the, here's the thing. They stick out. Is the, is They become a design element. They're not sort of a quiet object that just melts into the background. You really see them. So once you've seen them once, you can pick them out over and over again. Yeah. I don't think you bought that in Capri. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't believe that one. I remember working with, um, I've only ever gotten to work with a stylist once that was coming to shoot a project. We always shoot our own. But she was um, maybe in her late 70s. Her name was Bonnie. And I might have been for Traditional Home Magazine. It's French country. Oh, French country. French country. Yeah, we brought her into this very French country home. It was like 15. Bonnie from New York? Yes. yes. Bonnie Mahir. With white hair? Yes. She's one. Amazing. And she came in to style this home. And she would be like, 
take the yellow vase away. My eyes getting hung up, just staring at that thing. Like everything just sort of had to melt into the scene, but she didn't want anything to be too jumpy because she just wanted to be able to appreciate just sort of the the whole composition of the room without anything being too jumpy. And I was like, okay, interesting. And it was so fun to be at her feet being so new to the game and to get to work for, with Bonnie, who had done this her whole career, was past retirement age and just was really doing it, I think, for the love of the game, you know? And it was really cool. And when you just said that, like, they jump out too much. I was like, that's what Bonnie said back in the day. It was like, if it jumps out too much, pull it away. It's so true. And it the main reason to hire a stylist is because styling a house for real life, everyday, in-person lifestyles is very different, completely different than styling for editorial when you're reducing a room, a big room, down to an eight and a half by 11 page. Mm -hmm. And we are looking for things like the house I'm in today. I can kind of imagine how my art director will lay the story out. I know the shapes he's looking for for the images. I know we're doing a couple of cover tries here. I know where the logo needs to be, where the horrible barcode in the lower left-hand corner has to go that's not attractive, but the government makes us put that on. (laughs) And where our blurbs go, I don't expect a designer to know that. How would you know that? Why would you know that? Yeah. A little, a stylist will, will avoid plants growing out the back of sofas so it looks like they're wearing a headdress or if you're taking homeowner portraits plants growing out of the top of people's heads all sorts of things um in bookshelves if you have the the pieces where they're supposed to be on a bookshelf you want them back a little bit you don't want them way forward because they're going to fall off and and break if they're ceramic or glass but for photography purses we pull things forward because otherwise they get pushed back too far and they're hidden, they're never seen. I don't expect anybody else to know that because it's a whole other business. business. And I always say, you know, I can design a room, I can measure for window treatments, but it's not something I do every day. It would take me five days to do what you guys can do probably in an hour because I don't do it every day. And the same is through the opposite direction. That's great. So hire a stylist. Hire a stylist. And um, how do you tell if you're getting a great photographer? What are you looking for when you're interviewing photographers? Well, if you want to be published in a print magazine, again, part of the research, make a list of the photographers whose names you see over and over again. Mm -hmm. Because, um, you know, the magazines are hiring them for a reason because they like their work, they like their lighting, they like their composition. So if you're seeing those names, then those are the people you should be going to. Um, if if you have a project where maybe it's not your hero project, then save a little money there. Maybe for that project, your goal isn't for print. Maybe your goal for that project is more of an online presence or social media. And so maybe you don't hire the best photographer for that house. But when you have that project that you're so proud of and the homeowners let you stretch your design wings and really show off your best creativity, 
that's when you need to save and splurge on that great photographer and hire the stylist too. Yeah. Um, can I ask you a question? I don't know if you'll know the answer to this. I certainly don't for sure. Um, what do you feel like is um, the right amount to pay for a great photographer? I'm going to say I don't know that only because I don't want to shortchange any photographers yeah. up there. Yeah. So um, I don't recommend getting your next door neighbor who owes you a favor and has a better camera than you do because oh. they have the version of iPhone. Yeah. We get that sometimes. Oh, no, you and, don't. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's better to ask around for who a good photographer is. They stand out versus photographers who maybe don't know what they're doing. Um, ask editors, ask other designers who they've used, but look at social media because it, that sometimes will show you where they've been published or who's getting credit for these incredible images that are being recirculated over and over again. Yeah. I don't want to give a dollar amount because there may be a young photographer out there who's just getting started, who maybe doesn't charge a lot, who knows exactly what they're doing. Yeah, and then that's fair. these photographers yeah. don't sometimes. Yeah, so it's so true. It is so true. Okay. I'm going to ask you our final question that we ask every guest that comes on the podcast. We want to know, how do you define luxury? I define luxury by time. I think time is luxury. And anything that stretches, because we can never manufacture or produce more time, anything that stretches the time, whether it's something that functions better for you um, to make to make life easier, I think that is is ultimately luxury. And, you know, we're at the beginning of the new year now and everybody's organizing and decluttering. And that's what ultimately you're giving yourself is the gift of time. Because when you don't have to search for that cart for car keys or papers or tax documents or whatever that is, you're saving time. And that's the one thing that none of us can ever make more of. We can always make more money. We can always go get a new sofa but we can't do that. And the other thing I will say for a more tangible um, answer to your question is I think it's so important to pay attention to quality and materials and how things are made. Um, we all want to be, look, you don't have to be an environmentalist, one of the, the people who knows everything about every single piece of everything that we put our hands on. Sometimes those things are realistic and sometimes they're not. But I think that we should all be mindful of what we're buying as far as fast furniture, fast fashion, and really focus on quality materials and things that are impeccably made so they are just long lasting. And when you are done loving that piece, whatever it is, somebody else can love it still because it's made well. Where if it's not made well, it goes into a landfill. Yeah. So I think that tree is. Yeah, it's more responsible and you live better. Yeah, great answer. I love that so much. Krissa Rossbund, you are a wealth of knowledge. I'm so excited for our listeners to get to hear your answers 
and to get to know you a little bit better. You're just so wonderful. We could go on and on, but I know we've taken up a lot of your time and you're in the middle of a shoot. So thank you for coming on. Thanks to both of you. I, I love being here and I love, I love knowing you. I'm Yay. so, I'm so glad I know. We feel the same about you. You're just amazing. Thank you, Krissa, okay. for your time. Best of luck in Florida. You Happy too. Yeah. We'll see ya. Bye. See ya. Hey, thanks for listening. If you like our show, please leave a five-star rating. 